you're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. In landscaping, the term native plants is thrown around quite a lot and today we're going to learn a little bit more about what that term actually means. Our guest is the other half of the Plants Grow Here podcast, my business partner, Ben Sims, who's the owner of Ben's Gardens in Perth and also a board member for the Landscape Industry Association of Western Australia. Thanks for coming on the show, Ben. What exactly are native plants? Well, uh, native plants are plants that grow naturally in a specific area. Um, They are sometimes only found in that particular area or they can be more widespread, such as across a whole continent like Australia, maybe, say, in the southern half, for example. Some plants have a really wide distribution range. Other plants are only endemic to an extremely small area, say, such as an orchid or something like that. They can be literally only found in an area that's, say, 100 metres by 100 metres because they require the, the right soil, the right climate, and only that pollinator could be found in that area, for example. So why should we landscape with native plants? Uh, Native plants are great to landscape with, uh, provided they can suit the needs of the garden designer or the DIY person designing the garden, uh, because in some cases they can be put straight into the soil type that you've got. So you don't need to go to the, the nursery and buy bags of soil improver. That's not always the case. Sometimes it's better to use a bit of soil improvement. It just depends on the plant that we're talking about. Um, but why to use them? Because in the case of WA, we've got the best native plants on the planet. So why not? It's a real question. What benefit do native plants have over exotic plants? Native plants are much happier in general, apart from if we're talking weeds with exotics, but to grow in the environment that you've got at your particular um, garden. They generally more water-wise because they're suited to the soil, the climate and everything. And um, in the case of WA natives, uh, I dare say that you will get a lot more diversity of flowers and the shapes of the flowers, the colours of the flowers, the the types of the flowers, because there's something like 12,000 or more native Western Australian plants. And you can literally choose thousands uh, if you want to grow them in your home garden. Insects can be incredibly beneficial in the garden. And I think that we don't really have a whole lot of time to go into this topic. That might be for another episode. But what are some of the ways that we can encourage insects to get into our garden? Good question, Daniel. Basically, a good place to start is using plants that you know, and you won't know unless you read books, but say plants like from the mint family typically have very, very good insect attracting flowers. And there are many natives like that, such as Westringia and plants like that, that will attract beneficial insects to your garden. And some of them are very beautiful, like the blue banded bee in WA. I don't know if you have that over there, but that's an absolute sight to see in the garden and adds so much interest. So yeah, in a nutshell, just plant planting the the right plants with the right flowers. Well, how about birds? Are they attracted to the same sorts of flowers that insects are? How do we get birds into the garden? Generally, bird-attracting flowers, insect-attracting flowers are different, but sometimes they attract both. Birds typically like the colour red, so a lot of bird-attracting flowers are red. They also are attracted to other coloured flowers, but red is a very good place to start. So a lot of grevilleas have red flowers. The Templetonia retusa has a red flower. I could go on, but I don't know whether it's because birds can just see red better or what it is, but they like red flowers and they also like nectar. 
So sometimes birds are also after insects. So that ties in with the question you asked before. Some birds are insectivorous, so they will go after the insects in your garden. So any native plant can generally attract some sort of bird, whether it's an an insect-eating bird or a nectar-eating bird. Some people say that native gardens can look a little bit scrappy and a little bit ratty. What's your response to that? Do you think that that's true? It just depends on the the level of design and creativity used in the selection of the native plants. And then it also depends on the irrigation setup or the amount of water the plants get. And then it also depends on the the pruning and, and whatnot, because that's very important to keep some native plants looking their best. So yes, they can. But if it's done with the right advice, and there's plenty of advice uh, on the Ben's Gardens webpage under blogs. There's at least 40 blogs talking about this. Uh, If you follow those tips, then you'll have no troubles at all keeping your native garden looking amazing or creating an amazing native garden because there's a ton of really, really good information there. I mean, it certainly wouldn't be true to say that exotic plants are maintenance-free. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So what's your response to the claim that native gardens are harder to maintain than exotic ones? It's simply not true. It's more of a plant selection issue and a maintenance issue, really, and also an irrigation issue because if plants are stressed and not watered well enough, they're going to get a lot more woody and and not be as lush and they're going to look unattractive. So, uh, yes, exotic plants have been bred for a lot longer to, to be able to grow in gardens, but then there's a lot of native plants that do beautifully in gardens and outperform exotics because they're not so stressed due to the needing as much water and, and nutrient and that sort of thing. So, and they, and they won't have as much pest and disease issues either if they're um, not as stressed because that's a secondary problem usually of water or nutrient stress. What do you reckon are some of the best places our listeners can go to find inspiration for their very own native garden? The best place to start, because there's so many different people contributing so many different ideas, is Pinterest. There's literally thousands and thousands and thousands of photos on there from all over the world. Yeah, so that's fantastic and it's very visual. It's very easy to just quickly navigate through them. So I would say Pinterest is where I look and also other professionals in the um, in the native sort of garden industry type businesses look when they've sort of run out of ideas. Oh, okay. Pinterest, that's a pretty good recommendation. Are there many landscape gardeners out there who are actually uh, doing the native landscapes or is that something that our listeners are going to need to get more of a specialized landscaper to help them out with? When I started my business nearly seven years ago, there was a lot less. There were still some that were good, uh, and but there were they were few and far between. Uh, there's more people having a go at it, and it's getting better and better as a whole, which is really good. Competition is great. Having high standards in native garden design is fantastic because it uh, raises the customers' interest in it as well, and it's treated more professionally. So customers are willing to spend more on native gardens. I, I think going back nearly seven years. Uh, they treated it as a low cost, cheap way to install a garden, but now it's looked at as a high, like it's used a lot in high end homes as well. So it's definitely shook that budget sort of tag, which is great because you can now really design some nice native gardens and not be too constrained by budget. And how about designers? Are there many landscape designers out there who are focusing on the native landscapes? Yeah, uh, there are. Over here, Sue Torlak from Wild About Gardens does a great job. She's been doing it for the best part of 20 years. She's fantastic. So she she comes to mind when it comes to native garden design. Other designers can do it. Some can do it really well. Others sort of stick to the basics a bit too much. Their overall design is good, but in my opinion, they're not testing themselves enough with the plant palette and the selection. And uh, Matthew Lunn, CEO of the 
nursery industry keeps talking about this. He really wishes people would push the limits more with the design side of things with plants. It's a bit lacking in some designs over here. I don't know about over in Victoria. So, but to answer your question, there are some, but Sue's probably the one that comes to mind. And not not that there's not others, but she specialises in that, so that's why she comes to mind. Well, I hope that there are a lot of up and coming landscapers out there whose ears are perking up right now, and they're thinking, "Oh, hello." There might be a little bit of a niche there for me to get into. Absolutely. It's definitely not crowded at all as far as doing things at a high level. What are some of the areas for improvement that you notice on a regular basis coming from uh, some of the DIY gardens that you see? The biggest mistake that any DIY gardener will do is just start and choosing just one of each plant but then the other thing I don't like is when the professionals and the professional designers just do block planting because it looks artificial it looks it looks like it doesn't look natural at all so what I try and do is is a mixture of of the two but obviously not one of everything but you know blend it in a bit more a bit like what you see at King's Park but I'd probably have a little more repetition just so it looks a little bit more designing sometimes it just depends on what the client wants but yeah, not one of everything. That that just is quite hard on the eye. It just makes it easier on the eye if you have some some repetition and some blocks. But I like to sort of also have some nice layers and, and some variation as well to make it look natural. Can you please describe in a little bit more detail what exactly you're talking about when you talk about some of those layers and the differentiation? So a lot of landscapers and designers will go to a big wholesaler and choose all their plants just off that list. Whereas what I like to do is go to three, four, five nurseries if I have to. I know I could make a lot more money if I didn't, but I think overall the end result with the diversity of the plants that you've got to use will be worth it and create a really, really nice garden that both you and the customer is happy with. So yeah, that's what I'm trying to get at there and just yeah, using more than just say three, four, five plants in the design, why not push it to 10, 15, 20? You know, there's plenty of room for it and it looks a lot better anyway, in my opinion, but everyone has a different style. What's your favourite reticulation setup for native plants? I think native plants really, really lend themselves to a correctly installed drip irrigation system. Uh, I like to spiral it around the plants um, because over here our soils are sandy and the rail method, uh, I find it can work if you're using the right drip line, but I like to get more emitters around each plant just to help them establish better and to reduce the need for hand watering. But there's more than one way to skin a cat. So yeah, that's my favorite uh, reticulation setup for natives. It's not the only one, but it just vastly reduces the need for hand watering. So why would the drip irrigation be more advantageous than if our listeners were to just go out and grab a sprinkler and just chuck it on their garden? Because uh, there's a lot of water that doesn't land around the root zone. There's a lot of water that lands off target and there's a lot more evaporation because it's hitting above the, it might be landing on top of mulch and then just evaporating off straight away, whereas drip irrigation will be under the mulch. So for that water to evaporate, it's got to evaporate through the mulch, but the mulch is already there to prevent evaporation. So that water will naturally go down into the soil and yeah, get down to the root zone where you need it is essentially why, yeah. So you're from Perth in Western Australia and the soil around your area is sort of known to be a little bit gutless, meaning that it's very sandy soil and the water and nutrients don't tend to stick around in the soil, they just tend to drain straight through. Do you recommend any soil preparation when it comes to planting natives? Yeah, definitely. In, in in some cases, for sure, it, it, especially if it's not on an irrigation system, so it's only getting hand watering uh, and not that often. 
Absolutely. So products like Terracottum or Bailey's Soil Matters with soil solver in it are, are really good. It just depends. I really, if I don't want to change the properties of the soil too much and I want to keep that sandy type consistency, I'll, I'll use Terracottum because it's a hydrogel with a few additives and that doesn't actually change the properties of the soil at all. It just increases the water holding ability and the and it adds a bit of nutrient. Uh, so yeah, it really depends on the, I, I generally, it depends on the type of plant you're trying to use and how often it's getting water and how it's getting water. Are there any groups out there that our listeners can join? Maybe they're looking to meet some like-minded people and learn a little bit more about those native plants. Absolutely. A fantastic group that I joined back in 2013 was the Wildflower Society and we have monthly meetings and uh, yeah, it's extremely informative. There's been fantastic lecturers or speakers such as Alex George, the world-famous botanist that specialises in Banksias, Hans Lambers, the survival expert Bob Cooper talking about bush tucker and how to survive on plants in the bush. That's some of the highlights for me. Adam Cross talking about carnivorous plants was excellent. Yeah, you just sort of take it for granted over the years how many amazing speakers that you get to see each month and it's something I never miss and I've basically kept that up for seven, seven years. A lot of our listeners are going to be on social media and I reckon that social media is a pretty great way to slowly initiate yourself into some of the finer plant details over time. Are there any social media accounts that you personally recommend that our listeners follow? Absolutely. Uh, someone that or that's, that comes to mind is Angus Stewart. And I remember listening to Angus, or sorry, watching Angus on um, Gardening Australia a long time ago for quite a long time and just loving the way he presented native plants. So he now is on Facebook, uh, Gardening with Angus, I believe. Uh, and he's got a great website called Gardening with Angus. And He's absolutely fantastic. And Angus, if you're listening, we would love to have you on the show. I know you're very busy, but we would absolutely love for you to come on and, and share your knowledge because, yeah, he's been doing all sorts of things. I believe he did first class honours at Sydney Uni and was into kangaroo paw breeding. I don't know if he was doing it back then, but he's done a lot of that. Uh, he's worked with some of the yeah some of the best people out there and keeps sharing his knowledge and keeps, keeps learning. Yeah, so uh, it's sort of interesting, yeah really really good so definitely follow angus he's definitely the best i reckon yeah we'd love to get angus on the show even if we don't end up getting him on the show we definitely recommend our listeners to uh, follow some of his stuff on social media and elsewhere and we'll make sure we drop some uh, links in the show notes if you're interested are there any others well, yeah, you're, uh, yeah. if you want, uh, jump on the uh, Ben's Gardens website and there's blogs there. There's about 40 of them and it's uh, a lot of WA-focused knowledge. So if you want to learn about Western Australian wildflowers and how to grow them in your garden, yeah, listen. And, and, and they're, they're even a lot of people are even growing them in Tasmania and states like Victoria and I'm pretty sure South Australia, just about everywhere. So, yeah, just follow some of the information that I've put up there and um, and, and have a go, really, because, yeah, there's it's all about experimenting. Uh, just have a go and if it doesn't work just try something else yeah that's it mate and if you're growing from seeds it can be really quite cheap yeah it depends on your success rate seeds can be extremely stubborn at times and can really push your patience right oh so do you reckon that seeds are too much trouble or? i'm not discouraging that at all daniel <laughs> uh no definitely have a go at seeds just be be aware that seeds have a dormancy factor or a, a germination inhibitor sometimes and you've got to understand what that is 
a fantastic example is Kwandongs. And Richard, if you're listening, uh, we'd love to get you on and talk about your Kwandongs because in Perth, I don't know anyone who knows more than Richard and he's a great speaker when it comes to that. But yeah, he's managed to successfully find a way to, to crack the code on Kwandong germination and he successfully grows them by the truckload. He's very good at it. But that, that's just one example of something that a lot of people have struggled with and he's overcome it. Other plants, yes, like peas and stuff, they've got a hard seed coat. So you either need to scratch it or boil the seed and then they'll germinate other plants like kangaroo paws david talked about smoke water in the volunteer episode about red seal so smoke water will help many things germinate so on wa natives especially that have evolved with fire then uh yeah definitely try smoke water it's not that expensive and if it doesn't it's not going to hurt them so it can only help them or not do anything so yeah there's quite a lot uh, angus has got a fantastic book that i've read for the second time and he's actually got me out there doing a lot of cuttings and seeds so well done angus yeah your book's very convincing called let's propagate that's a fantastic book and he talks about cuttings division and seed and it's extremely comprehensive but anyone could understand it or if you have a little bit of trouble send me an email and i can talk plant and decode anything you might not understand yep and there will be a uh, nice little link down there in the show notes as i said previously yeah absolutely yeah because that will give you a lot more confidence because that's where i learn because i'm i'm a bit of a rookie when it comes to propagation that's it yep you said it ben just get out there and have a go guys and if you fail just try again thanks for coming on the show ben I hope our listeners have learned a lot about native landscaping and I definitely recommend everyone to get out there and learn a little bit more about the topic through some of the resources that we've talked about and also source your own resources and let us know on social media some of your favourite places to get info. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Dan. And uh, and please check out the Ben's Gardens website under the blog section because there's a lot of information that you could get a lot out of. Check the show notes for that one, folks. So that was Ben. The other half of Plants Grow Here. He mainly works in the background, but he will be coming on from time to time to help us explain some of the basic topics of working with plants. We're both curious to know some of your favourite native plants. Let us know on social media, at Plants Grow Here on Twitter, and on our Facebook group, which is also in the show notes.